Thank you for joining me for Freedom is Scary, episode 11, I believe it is. And I was inspired to do this one based on the fact that we now have a vice presidential candidate who was a career prosecutor. And that really gets my, my blood flowing when I hear prosecutors, career prosecutors talking about systematic inequality and systematic injustice. And as I know a little bit about that in uh, my career of defending criminal defendants down in the trenches, and I've worked as a prosecutor, I've worked as a the defense lawyer, I've worked at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., and looked at injustice all over the country. So let's let's take a look at the fact that process, excuse me, police officers who I'm critical of all the time and I have been for years, but they get thrown under the bus by people like Kamala Harris when in fact they're really not the ones that are really putting people in prison all across the country. It's prosecutors all over the country who have filled up the prisons in America to create what, what may be the most uh, highly incarcerated country in the history of the world. The fact is, is that we have over-criminalized America. Everything is illegal. Everything is illegal. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of laws that no one lawyer and no one judge could ever understand. And so if you want to find systematic injustice, it exists. If you want to find systematic inequality, it exists. But where should you look for that? Do you look in the minds and the in in the bigotry of individual police officers? Do you claim that that police officers across the country just happen to have this conspiracy where they're all racist, including many of them, racist against themselves? Because in cities like Atlanta, for instance, where you have a majority of black police officers. The whole idea of it is, is absurd. Where the systematic inequality is, is, is in the whole criminal justice system itself, the way it's set up, the way it's used. It's not the police officers who make the decisions of who's going to prison and for how long, or what plea agreements get used, or what, what information is, is provided to the defense or whether probation is offered or parole is offered. It's not the police officers who do that. It's the prosecutors. It's the people like Kamala Harris. And it's a lot of these same people who are claiming there's this nationwide conspiracy that were up to their necks in all of it to begin with. So Kamala Harris was a district attorney in San Francisco from 2004 to 2011. And looking into it, put out being on crime in the form of prosecuting school children who didn't show up to school enough or on time. In fact, she says the parents in San Francisco are threatening the criminal citations. She sponsored a 2010 law making it a criminal misdemeanor for children not to show up. 10% of the time or more without an excuse deemed acceptable to the state. She opposed efforts in California to reduce these BS mandatory minimum prison sentences that take sentencing discretion 
i.e. fairness, away from the judges who are sentencing the criminal defendants. She opposed the efforts to legalize marijuana in California. Then she served as the California Attorney General from 2011 to 2017, where at least 1,560 people were incarcerated for just marijuana-related offenses during those years, or during some of those years. She fought against new DNA testing for in a death row inmate named Kevin Cooper, who many believed was wrong, wrongfully convicted. And if there's any chance at all that somebody may have been wrongfully convicted and is about to be executed, what is the harm of actually looking at the DNA evidence? And I thought that you were for science, that you believed in science. Well, why not look at the science in a case like that? What's the harm in checking the DNA? According to an article that I saw in the New York Times, over 600 criminal cases had to be dismissed in California over a corrupt laboratory technician. And we know something about that in West Virginia because we had our own scandal before my time. But that's over 600 criminal cases that had to be dismissed in California where there was an accusation that the, the technician had, quote, intentionally sabotaged results in criminal prosecutions. Now, how unfair is that? How unequal, how unjust is that? Kamala Harris and her prosecutors tried to withhold this important fact, this important exculpatory evidence from the defense lawyers in these cases and got caught doing it. In 2014, she declined to take a position on a ballot initiative to redu reduce all these low-level felonies that probably should not have been felonies to reduce them to misdemeanors. Whereas you're not making certain segments of the population, felons who cannot vote, who cannot get a job, who get this second-class status. I mean, you want to talk about a second-class status, about unequal, you charge somebody with a misdemeanor, they just have a misdemeanor on their record. You charge them and convict them with a felony, now you've created a lower-tiered class of citizen in America. You've created uh, the felon class. So that's it. West Virginia was over the medical examiner, Paul says. Now, I, the, in West Virginia, the state police runs the criminal laboratory. I I believe that it was somebody in the in the criminal crime in the in the West Virginia State Police Crime Lab who had gotten in trouble um, falsifying things. But I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it that there it happened in the medical examiner's office as well. But that's for an entirely new video, um, the medical examiner's office. The fact is is these things should all be detached and neutral and unbiased. Why not privatize these things? They absolutely should be privatized. But back to prosecutors and Kamala Harris, which is what I was talking about. Um, she declined to take a position on this ballot initiative in California to make felonies that should not really be felonies, who are creating this really lower tiered class of individuals who can't even vote anymore, down to misdemeanors so that they could go on with their lives and they could be functioning citizens like the rest of us. 
And so she did not even report that. When she was asked by a reporter if she would support the legalization of marijuana, she just laughed at the reporter. And according to a lot of the other things that I, that I, I found, that these cases aren't, aren't alone. She also fought to keep Daniel Larson in prison on a 28-year life sentence for possession of a concealed weapon, even though his trial lawyer was apparently incompetent and there was a compelling evidence of his innocence. Does it not blow your mind when you watch some of these documentaries and you, you see that there's evidence that somebody might be innocent? And who's fighting? Who's fighting against DNA testing just to, just to find out if someone's innocent? Who's fighting to cover up? injustice. It's always the prosecutors. And nine times out of 10, they're the ones of their office are the ones who perpetrated the wrongs that put people in prison wrongfully or imprison people who really shouldn't be imprisoned, even based on what they did do. She also, uh, um, relying back to that other case, relying on a technicality Kamala Harris argued that this guy, Mr. Larson, failed to raise his legal arguments in a timely fashion. And so even though he might be innocent, and even though he had an incompetent lawyer, didn't receive justice, didn't receive a fair trial, because there was this technicality, because he failed to, to raise, properly raise the legal arguments at the time, and again, one of the reasons is because he, I guess, had an incompetent lawyer, but because you had an incompetent lawyer, that's because of that technicality. We're just going to keep you in prison anyways. Or she's argued that he should stay in prison anyways. I mean, how how much of a uh, how much of a joke is that? Yeah, you had a crappy lawyer, but because you had a crappy lawyer, we can't even fix that on appeal. She also defended Johnny Baca's conviction for murder, even though judges found that a prosecutor presented false testimony at the trial. She relented only after a video of the oral argument received national attention and embarrassed her office. So that was from an article in the New York Times called Kamala Harris was not a, quote, progressive prosecutor from January of 2019. So you always look at, at articles about people before they gone on, on the ticket for, for president, for either side. In her book which was called The Truths We Hold, Miss Harris's memoir, she wrote that, quote, America has a deep and dark history of people using the power of the prosecutor as an instrument of justice. She ironically claims in the book, and listen to this, listen to this, quote, I know this history well of innocent men framed, of charges brought against people without sufficient evidence, of prosecutors hiding information that would exonerate defendants of the disp disproportionate application of the law. That's her quote. Now, I've also seen innocent men framed. I've also seen charges brought against people where charges should not be brought. Yeah, Fred Zane, that's who it is. Thanks, uh, Michael, Fred Zane, that was the West Virginia State Police Crime Lab technician who got caught committing fraud and sending people to prison who, who shouldn't be there. And it just blows my mind that that actually happened 
and the West Virginia State Police, to my knowledge, still run the crime lab. That's like the fox running the hen house. I mean, we trust that they're doing the right thing, but we don't know for sure. I wrote about this back in January on my blog at the civilrightslawyer.com that things didn't start out this way, this over-criminalization, this police state that we've created. And actually in 1788, when the, our constitution was first ratified, do you know how many federal crimes there were on the books at the beginning? Two years later, after really our form of government started, 1790, we had 30 crimes in existence at that time. And if you look at them, they were the basics, treason, piracy, murder, mayhem, and similar ones. At the time, there was no concept in our law or our legal system like has been used by prosecutors like Kamala Harris to imprison hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people based on possession of marijuana or possession of many other objects. Possession of something, criminalizing the possession of something, wasn't a concept in our law at the beginning. And our law came from the English common law. Possession of anything wasn't a concept in the English common law either. Do you know where that came from? The concept of criminalizing the possession of any object came from Sharia law. It came from other Far East authoritarian regimes. That's where it came from. In fact, the first modern, what we would call a drug law in the Western world did first come to England in 1868. Do you know when the first drug law came to the United States? That wasn't until 1875, after the Civil War, long after the Civil War. And it happened, where do you think it happened? Right where Kamala Harris served as prosecuting attorney or as district attorney, right in San Francisco, California. That is where Sharia law was brought to America. And you know why they did it? They, they, wanted, to, they wanted to stop Chinese immigrants from enjoying their opium dens. So they made opium illegal in San Francisco in 1875. That was our first drug law. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. But knowing politicians as we know them, they, they only move forward. They don't move backwards. So when, when politicians fix things, they just make laws and they make laws and they make laws. Fast forward to 2015. At that point, now you've gone from 30 federal crimes to over 5,000 federal crimes on the books. That's up quite a ways from the original 30 during the time of our founding fathers. In total, that's 27,000 pages of descriptions of what constitutes a federal crime in the U.S. code books. 
And as a result, although the United States consists of only about 5% of the world's population, we incarcerate around 25% of the world's prisoners, and 40% of those are black Americans. Now, why doesn't Kamala Harris talk about that? Why didn't Kamala Harris defend black Americans during her time as a lawyer instead of incarcerate them? Seriously, there are people out there every day who are fighting in the trenches. Why didn't she do that? Instead of doing that, she was a part of the system, a big part of the system, that was incarcerating people from the very city where it first started, where the Chinese immigrants were first targeted with drug laws. Now, not only did we not have all these laws originally, we, we didn't have the concept of all these public police forces all in, in every city, in every county, in every state, all over the place. That wasn't really a concept at the beginning of our country. We didn't have an army of police officers. We didn't have an army of prosecutors. Now, obviously, we, we're dealing with what we're dealing with now, but just for perspective, it didn't start out that way. There was no danger of Thomas Jefferson getting pulled over in his carriage on the way from Monticello to the Capitol. It wasn't a concept. It wasn't going to happen. Originally, again, we come from the English common law. In England, the prosecution of crime was actually more of a private matter. It was just like, really, a civil lawsuit. If somebody had committed a crime... Under English law, any Englishman could prosecute that crime. So the prosecutor, in fact, was usually the victim of the crime. And it was up to the victim slash prosecutor to file charges with the local magistrate and to present evidence to the grand jury. And that if the grand jury found a true bill, to provide that evidence for trial. So it was very much like our current system of civil prosecution. It was the victims who initiated and controlled the process. Um, if the victim of a crime won the case, the criminal was hanged, transported, or po possibly pardoned. So the damage payment in civil law provides the victim with an there, is, there seems to be no corresponding incentive under the 18th century system of private criminal prosecution as we have with today's civil um, abilities to sue. The other thing where possession laws were used and they really came about into our use here in America, it wasn't just in suppressing Chinese immigrants. Possession crimes were used against black Americans throughout the Jim Crow era, including depriving and especially depriving them of the right to possess firearms found a, a good article um, from the Santa Clara University School of Law on this. And I uh, put this up on the blog site, and I also wrote about it in January. And it was written, the anxiety about gun control, i.e. the regulation of gun possession, arises from this tension. 
this uncertainty among those who once clearly identified themselves with the policers and their effort to control undesirables. Privileged members of the political community are appalled to find themselves treated by the law, if not necessarily by its enforcers, as presumptively dangerous, and therefore as vagrants, felons, aliens, and, quote, Negroes. Pointing to the Second Amendment, they challenge the state's claim to original ownership of guns as dangerous instruments, with possession to be delegated to those deemed worthy. Men of, quote, good moral character balk at the requirement that they demonstrate their moral fitness to a state official. They are, in short, experiencing the very sense of powerlessness so familiar to traditional objects of police control. Now they, too, are outsiders who find themselves confronted with the arbitrary discretion of a superior power, the state. And this sense of alienation only grows when these state-defined sources of danger realize that state officials are exempt from the general prohibition of possession. So, again, if you want to look at systematic injustice and inequality, look no further than the lawyers who sign their names to the charging documents which have imprisoned people across the country. Look no further than the people who have made the arguments in the courtrooms all over the country to imprison people. Again, 5% of the world's population, 25% of the inmates, 40% of those black Americans compared to their percentage of around 13% of the population. Kamala Harris was a, a very much a part of that. Um, and if, if you want to look for inequality, you want to look for injustice, again, look at the prosecutors. And going back to Kamala Harris's quote, where she talks about how prosecutors can be misused or pro prosecutors can misuse the system. Well, um, the lady doth protest too much, he thinks. And as for the states, the 5,000 plus federal laws, that doesn't even include the state, the state laws, the state crimes. For instance, Arizona has over 4,000 statutory state level crimes on its books. That's in addition to the 5,000. So that's 9,000. If you're in Arizona, that's 9,000 laws that you need to know not to violate. Obviously, you can't do that. No one person can know all the different 9,000 criminal laws that you could possibly commit in Arizona. North Carolina, where I went to law school, has added five sections to its criminal code each year since World War II. Again, politicians make laws. They increase the size of government. They don't decrease it. And North Carolina has also added 318 new crimes just since 2009. So when there's 5,000 or 7,000 or 9,000 or 10,000 criminal laws to choose from, prosecutors can get you on something. Anyone can be a criminal when there's 5,000 plus criminal laws for prosecutors to choose from. As I've wrote about before, the story of this guy named John Yates, who was a fisherman, makes this point very well. The point about the over-criminalization of America, about arbitrary or abusive prosecution. 
prosecutors brought charges against this guy, John Yates, and secured a felony conviction against him for violation of what was called the, quote, anti-document shredding provision of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Now, what did Mr. Yates do to deserve time in a federal prison? This is what he did. He threw three of the approximately 3,000 fish that he caught that day back into the ocean because he knew that they were undersized according to the federal regulations. And they said that by doing that, he was destroying evidence. While the U.S. Supreme Court overturned that conviction, it wasn't until eight years later that they did so. And not everyone who faces a similar situation, not everyone who faces prosecutors, the criminal justice system, has a chance to have their case go up to the Supreme Court. It's, it's not something that's readily available. It costs thousands of dollars just to print the application to petition the U.S. Supreme Court. And people don't have the same access to lawyers. It very much is the case that money can get you out of trouble. Now, our legal system is probably the best that there is, the most fair that there is. But you can get a lot better representation with, with money than you're going to get with a public defender or with a court-appointed lawyer. West Virginia prisons are full of people who had lawyers who were being paid $45 an hour. Now, maybe that would, would be good pay, or sounds like good pay. But if, if you include any sort of office overhead, a lawyer running an office might have $80 an hour in overhead and obviously would not be able to work for $45 per hour. So if that's the legal representation that you have, you're going to get really the results that you pay for most of the time. Here's the thing that most people don't understand is that you can't claim the value of the Constitution and the original intent of the founding fathers, the framers, just because you support things like the Second Amendment or the First Amendment while at the same time supporting the world's largest collection of criminal laws that we have, criminalizing everything from the plants that you like to the thoughts in your mind. Imagine telling George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or James Madison that nowadays in Virginia, a Virginian cannot even distill his own whiskey for his own use or even possess his own whiskey for his own personal use without the permission of the government, or that he couldn't possess a plant of any sort. He would have thought it absurd. That's where we've ended up, though, thanks to generations of essentially what are do-gooders. And beware the do-gooders. But it can always get worse. If the politicians are allowed to continue thinking up new criminal laws constantly in order to shape society of how they think it ought to look, just look at the unsuccessful war on drugs 
in the U.S. But again, it can always get worse. Look at Singapore. In Singapore, again, possession laws came from Sharia law and from authoritarian regimes in the Far East. But Singapore has something they call the Misuse of Drugs Act. And it basically 70% of their executions are for drug-related offenses, including possession. Yes, they execute people for possession in Singapore. Um, they have a legal presumption in their law which allows the police to search people's homes, to search people without a search warrant based only on a police officer having suspicion. It allows police to forcibly um, drug screen people, anyone they suspect of drug use. They have a, believe it or not, a mandatory death penalty. So if you possess, this is their mandatory death penalty. If you possess 30 grams of cocaine, the death penalty is mandatory. If you possess 500 grams of marijuana, death penalty is also mandatory. And as little as 15 grams of marijuana in Singapore is presumed drug trafficking and will get you probably life in prison. But is it working? Even with these draconian drug laws in Singapore, the statistics show that drug use and drug possession, illegal drug use and possession still exists and is increasing in Singapore, believe it or not, even at facing mandatory death penalty, the overcriminalization of drug possession and use, does it, it still doesn't work, not even in Singapore. Um, I've cited in, in the article you find on the blog where, where I, I got some of this information from Channel News Asia from 20, December of 2019. Singapore's drug problem is compounded by online availability. So even Singapore, and make no mistake, on the, the current trajectory that we're on, we're heading in this direction. Um, there was a 2018 piece from the Washington Post that I had found um, discussing Singapore. And again, the, the Channel News Asia report about their drug problem getting worse was from December of 2019. But you can go back to a March of 2018 Washington Post story where they're praising Singapore. And I wrote that it, sound, it sounded like, um, you know, they were listening to basically the Baghdad Bob version of, of uh, the, the Singapore information minister talking about how great their drug laws were and how great the results were. But when you look at their real news over there, it's not the case. So beware the do-gooders. Just because a politician is elected, that does not mean that they have to do anything. Hell, it, it'd be great a lot of times if they do nothing. And some people should run on that. Elect me, I'll do nothing. Because a lot of times they'll be doing better by doing nothing than jumping on the bandwagon of just making um, new laws and new laws and new laws just because people are scared. Again, freedom is scary. If we're going to allow the scared folks among us to get the politicians to, to make them feel safe by passing new laws and new laws and new laws, eventually we end up in Singapore. 
So speaking of Singapore, look, look where we're headed now with the mask mandates. You know, Singapore, they've been doing a really great job of making their people wear masks. I've seen some articles on this. They have a near 100% from what I read rate of, of people wearing masks because they're told to wear masks. They, they get very little non-compliance in Singapore. And that is, what, what does that remind you of here? The Karens and the government, if they had their way, everybody would be wearing a mask here. Wear the mask, citizen. Because it's about compliance at this point more so than it is about public health. Look at the way our governor and here in West Virginia addresses the people in West Virginia on his, on his daily um, teleconference speeches. He tells us that he loves us. I mean, he, again, he has this language like an emperor or a king. You know, I love you. You're my people. You, you don't know how much I love you. I mean, that, that, that's just a scary place that we've ended up. Yeah, if we had to sell uh, marijuana to support a war, I'm all for it. You know, one of the things that really has cracked me up over the years is are these newspaper articles or these social media posts by the law enforcement agencies showing, well, some of them are funny because they'll lay out the money, and then some of them, you know, they've got like the $1 bills laid out. It's like, come on, give me a break. But, I mean, there are some with the big marijuana busts, and, and it'll say, you know, we got, you know, $100 million worth of marijuana was seized. It's like, okay, well, I mean, that means that, that uh, you know, the taxpayers are getting $100 bucks in, in exchange for that seizure, right? No, of course, of course not. You know, we destroyed it all in a big fire. So we there, there was no $100 million. You know, if, if it's $100 million, why don't we do something with it? And make some money with it. Well, we can't because, like they always said, cr even crime wouldn't pay if the government ran it. Um, lastly, if you go on my blog site, civilrightslawyer.com, you'll see that I've put up a petition to build a statue here in West Virginia at the state capitol complex of a true West Virginia hero. And that's this guy right here. That is Master Sergeant Richard A. Bones Smoot. I've put up a petition to get a real bronze statue built of him, hopefully on the West Virginia State Capitol complex. You know, it's time that we stop tearing down our statues and tearing down our history and our, our culture and disrespecting our flag. It's time that we stop allowing the role models for our children to be spoiled athletes and celebrities who do nothing but disrespect our country and our flag. And it's time to show them who the good role models are. And that is people like like Bones Smoot here, who at the age of, of he, 
55. I, he was in his mid to late 50s serving as a special forces soldier in Afghanistan in 2002, chasing the Taliban on horseback. I mean, just an epic story. And how cool would it be to have a statue of him on his horse at the West Virginia State Capitol, just like our statues of old. But here's a guy who served in Vietnam. He was born in 1948. Where's the picture of him in Vietnam? There he is. In Vietnam, he served in Vietnam, and he served in Afghanistan, and he served in Iraq. And he apparently was just a legend in the Special Forces community and loved by everyone I've talked to so far in West Virginia and beyond West Virginia, people he served with, his family. And I can't think of a better role model for, for kids than somebody who can, who can prove that you can be in your 50s or 60 years old and you can keep up with the fittest people in the world even when they're in their 20s or their 30s. And you can go into these combat zones. He served across decades, across wars, across continents. Yet he always came back to his family here in West Virginia. They lived in Tornado, West Virginia. And tragically, he was killed in 2015 by a reckless driver who crossed the center line and hit him on his motorcycle. And it was just, it's just a shame. His family always thought that they'd lose him in some far, far off combat zone. But no, it was, it was at least doing what he loved, but he went far too soon in 2015. And so they've named the bridge after him, but that's not enough. I think we need a statue of him. We need to make it clear that in West Virginia, we value our country. We, we value our heroes. And so please sign that petition and I'm going to get it to the legislature. And I'm going to try to make it happen. So, again, thanks for, for watching. And I definitely want to do more about Master Sergeant Smoot because he, he's truly an interesting character. And, and uh, you know, some of the stories I've heard, I mean, it sounds like that guy really, really loved life. And then most of all, loved his country and loved West Virginia. But the, the overall point here is that let's not let the discussion about inequality and justice be just only steered in one direction towards separating the country even further. Let's actually look at where the real problem is. Let's look at the prosecutors. Do we need all these criminal laws? Do we need all these criminal prosecutions? Now, a lot of times we do, but how many people need to get it, need to be released from prison right now because of, uh, you know, nonviolent drug related offenses. That is a popular issue. That's a winning issue right now. And president Trump has, has started to tackle this issue. And you want to look at injustice and inequality. I mean, look at people in prisons. I mean, how many people could you find that are sympathetic stories, just like um, the lady who, who was at the Republican convention the other day? How many different stories just like that are there? 
and I know that there's more stories. Um, a, a friend of mine here locally was actually pardoned by President, President Clinton, believe it or not. And she was a, a woman in prison here in West Virginia who had hurt nobody. And she didn't even, she wasn't even involved in drugs personally, but I think it was her, her, uh, her ex-boyfriend and they prosecutors pressured her to, to testify against them. And when she hesitated or, or, or made it made apparently the wrong choice, they absolutely hammered her and gave her what was effectively the rest of her life in prison. And she was given her life back with the help of a wonderful man who was originally her counselor in prison and got her case, helped get her case before the president and got her out of prison. And today she's, she is a, a nurse helping people and saving lives. She could still be rotting in prison. That is, that is civil rights. Those are civil rights. It has, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with skin color. It doesn't, nobody has to have an intention to hurt anybody of any particular skin color or to be racist or prejudiced or bigoted. It has to do with the basic human rights, civil rights of everybody. It, it has to do with locking people up in, in cages. If we're going to lock people up in cages, we better have a damn good reason to do it. And I think it needs to be, um, there needs to be a lot fewer instances of that. In any event, Read the article, uh, some of the stuff that, that, that I wrote about on this topic at my blog site at civilrightslawyer.com. Also sign the petition for Bone Smoot. Also join the Facebook group, the Facebook page called Freedom is Scary if you're on Facebook. And uh, until then, let's see. Oh, before a couple comments here. Uh, Master Sergeant Smoot was a beast. I lived five minutes from where he lived. Well, you, I've every single person I've talked to that that knew him or even met him one time just absolutely loved the guy and respected the guy. And and uh, um, yeah, go to my the civilrightslawyer.com. I didn't want to put it on change.org because I, I just didn't want to. So. I, I'm doing it on my own website and I'm not giving the information to anybody, but where it needs to go when the time comes to try to make it happen with the legislature. And they're not going to be any spam email, nothing like that. So just sign the petition and, um, and, you know, we'll show the, the, the power of, of, uh, you know, the grassroots freedom, American loving people in West Virginia and uh, we'll set a good example for the rest of the country. Um, so I, thanks for watching. And um, you can email me at jhbjohnbryanlaw.com. Again, the website with the petition and with more information on, on overcriminalization and how dangerous prosecutors can be at thecivilrightslawyer.com. And I will talk to you next time. And that was Freedom is Scary. And this, this material really does make the point that freedom is scary. So until next time, um, stay out of trouble. And if you do get in trouble, 
remember to keep keep calm and call John.